So last week I told you about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s kitchen table epiphany. It looks something like this uh, at his kitchen table. Um, uh, We talked about how over cold coffee and with kind of wrung out hands, he was ready to quit. And Martin heard God's renewing voice. It was then that Martin had everything that he needed to become who he was going to become. Jesus told him to fight on in this battle to wage peace and that God would never leave him alone. I love that story. It is inspiring to me every time that I recall it. It makes me want to get quieter and listen more deeply to depend on God more fully because God's got me. God sees me and knows me. God sticks close to me even when I feel alone. What I I didn't continue to share from that story is that three days later, Dr. King's home was bombed. And he and his family, I think there's a newspaper, yeah, Blast Rock's uh, residence of bus boycott leader. He and his family narrowly escaped real harm. God apparently gave him exactly what he needed to continue fighting and to continue to make good trouble. But he would also go on to be blasted by hoses and attacked by dogs and arrested and fatally shot on the balcony of a Memphis hotel. So it's precisely this sort of static and conflict and violence and the threat of violence that we're thrust into today with the reading that Titus read from Mark's gospel. I don't know if you caught that, but the story, the Fishers of Men story that some of us are, are familiar with, many of us probably have a VBS song queued up in the back of our minds and hearts about. It started with the arrest of John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin. You see, plenty of folks in the Bible are arrested and incarcerated, including John, Jesus's cousin, who was also a forerunner to Jesus's own arrest and trial and execution. This doesn't dampen the mission for Jesus. Jesus picks up John's torch and carries it on. He moves through particular towns and villages proclaiming the gospel, the, the good news that change is coming. That, that, that God is near, that the kingdom of this world's days are numbered. So don't get used to this, the way things, quote unquote, are. There is a break in the way things are. Become part of this break. All things are being made new, right in the midst of the old. This includes all things, you and I. This is the weird and worth everything you have message. Jesus tells parables about this. Sell all you have and buy it. Let those with ears hear. So Jesus passes on this lakeside and he sees some fishermen. Not exactly the most couth lot in Nazareth. These are guys that probably work hard and party harder and probably have a bumper sticker about that, you know? 
These are probably guys I went to high school with in Daytona Beach, Florida. I think a lot of camo and not like military camo and probably Crocs and cargo shorts and stuff like that. There's not a lot of PhDs hanging out in a front-of-the-mill bait shop. It's here, though, at this seashore that a pair of brothers, Simon and Andrew, are, again, seen by Jesus. Seen by Jesus while they're casting their nets into the sea. And they receive their epiphany. They receive their vocation, their calling. I think there are a couple things happening here when we talk about an epiphany vocation. First, this this call, this vocation, is a, this come follow me, is an, it's an all-encompassing call to repentance and justice. An all-encompassing call to repentance and justice. So, just a little context here. Unlike our like higher education systems where you put in your applications to study under somebody and signal your desire. In Jesus' context, rabbis are the ones who choose their pupils, not the other way around. You don't apply to study with Rabbi Ben Zakai. He chooses you. So we see first that this epiphany movement of God in Jesus works through a calling. It's through a choosing. I'm starting to kind of hear what would become the Apostle Paul's logic in Romans 8, that those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. It's kind of being played out in real time. So Jesus is conscripting Andrew and Simon And then the Zebedee boys, Sons of Thunder. How cool is that? It's like wrestling names here. Also a championship intramural softball team, circa 2010. James and John were the Zebedee boys. He's calling them into his mission and into this new identity as fishers of people. He's tapping them into something when he does that, that is, that is much more brutal and strange and severe than they even know. Now they're joining God in this work of repentance and justice, of judgment. They're clashing headlong against the powers and principalities, against all the unjust, phony gods and lesser newses that are running amok around them. I'm not sure they even know what they're answering to when they answer that call. You see the, the fish hook pops up over and over in, this, in these prophetic announcements throughout God's uh, word in the Hebrew scriptures. It's a symbol and a tool of judgment. Here's a few exhibits of that. Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 16 says, Now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. And I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt down on every mountain and hill and crevice of the rocks. My eyes are on their ways. They are not hidden from me. Nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sin because they have defiled my land with their lifeless forms of their vile images and have filled my inheritance with their detestable idols. God's answer to idolatry in an idolatrous people is to send fishers and hunters to hook them, to bring them back. Or exhibit B from Amos 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. What a great way to start a sentence, right? 
<laughs> you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Amos would have a great TikTok account, right? <laughs> the sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you'll be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. God is bringing them back with hooks. Heck, exhibit C is like the whole book of Jonah, right? In Jonah, we see that when we're reticent to come and to follow, or when we're disobedient in our call sometimes, we might even get swallowed up by the very thing we're hoping to avoid or to master, and then spit out exactly where we didn't want to go. Jesus' calling is like serious stuff. To repent, to believe the good news, to change your heart and mind, is to be brought into the front lines for justice and repentance and renewal. Dr. King himself reminds us about Jesus. No one was ever crucified for telling people that God loved them. (laughs) And we see even in Jesus this deep seriousness of this calling. So to be called by Jesus means to walk with Jesus, to become like Jesus. This is an incredible fulfilling thing, but fulfilling in terms of like being emptied. Think Philippians 2. The Galilean fishermen leave their nets and whatever kind of job security they had to answer Jesus's invitation, quote, to join him in a struggle to overturn the existing order of power and privilege. Sure, this is like maybe even a little kinder and gentler kind of radicalism than what was on offer at their time. They had literally had guys running around with sickles, right? Like this is a pretty brutal time, maybe even a little more kinder and gentler than radicalism in our time. But make no mistake, Jesus is not calling them to a life of comfort. He's not calling us to a life of comfort or equivocation or moderation. These men are being radicalized at the seashore. To be called by Jesus is, to, is weird. It's scary and it's true and it's beautiful. Buckle up. <laughs> now, instead of only fishing for fish... In making a good and honest living, now they fish for people. Connect the message that has brought you into God's family, that message of repentance and justice making, and now make that your mission. Right where you are, with who you're already with, and go with Jesus where he sends you and he'll never leave you alone. That's the offer. So that's one thing happening. Next thing is that Jesus is showing off kind of an ethic of the kingdom. It is a nothing is wasted ethic of God's kingdom. By that I mean, before these people knew that they were doing meaningful work for God, they were doing meaningful work for God. Sure, they were just fishing. Just fishing. Maybe that was the only work that they could do. Maybe that was just what they did because it would literally put food on their table. I'm sure they ate a lot of fish. Maybe they hated it. Have you ever thought of that? (laughs) But then comes Jesus. 
in all those years of fishing, all those strung together days of maybe not catching a whole lot, along with the occasional huge day, but mostly just being out of out at sea and probably smelling really bad. All of those small moments, all those days strung together now become fodder for God's work among them and through them. And in some ways, like Jesus has this habit. He, he, he tells these parables. He looks around and like an improvisational actor says, yes, and, and picks up what is going on and describes how that is being pulled into God's kingdom or already is part of God's kingdom. And so they become part of a Jesus parable of the kingdom of God. We can become a part of a Jesus parable of the kingdom of God. This seems like a pretty big deal, actually. I'm always trying to figure out how to talk to my kids about work and calling. They're, they're little. We're, we haven't gotten to, like, college majors and stuff like that. Um, but I am trying to figure out, like, how to, sh- how to, like, identify and steer and shepherd and, at the very least, do no harm <laughs> towards something faithful and fruitful for their lives. And some of us, no doubt, grew up with these things that were taught or things that were told or things that were caught that weren't told, um, that the best way to be a Christian was to, like, A, B, or C, like, do something that would obviously help a lot of people, like, be a doctor or, like, obviously make a lot of money, like a business person, so that then you could help people with that money, or just something that had, like, a lot of influence for the kingdom of God. Uh, a politician or a famous person, a TikToker. How about that? (laughs) But to be a fisher or an artist or a teacher or a barista or a social worker or a factory worker or a stay-at-home parent or a bus driver, Durham, (laughs) or a farmer or a pastor can sometimes seem like a waste or a failure of placing limits on yourself. You could have been so great. Think of all the people you could have reached, helped, saved, influenced. But in the story and reading it, what if the actual kind of work that we're doing is almost irrelevant? Sorry for everyone with student loans in this room. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe sometimes we just need to trot out like 1 Thessalonians 4.11 more often. Aim to live quietly, mind your business, and earn your own living just as I told you. (laughs) Because God has already been working. And there's, there's work to be done in and through your work, no matter what that work is. When Jesus encounters these roughneck fishers, He's imagining new work in the midst of their old work. New in the midst of the old. This is the language of transfiguration. This is the language of resurrection. This is is the language of new creation. New in the midst of the old. So we see in Jesus that vocation calls you to be more than you currently are. Using exactly who you are. 
I hope that's good news for you guys. I hope that's good news for us. More than we are using exactly who we are. These fishers of humans were humans who happened to be fishers, right? It is interesting how their previous experiences and jobs and training were recast in light of what happened when Jesus gets his hooks into them. There is probably going to be significantly less actual fishing in their lives after they team up with Jesus, though they do fish with them and even have a resurrection meal of fish with him. <laughs> but Jesus is with them. He's, he's guiding them. He's challenging them. He's forming them into the types of people they never would have had the imaginations to think of for themselves. So this is the invitation for all of us today, each of us and all of us together. It's a thing in theological language. This is God's prevenient grace. This means that God's action and love and grace and vision for us and our world is always prior. It's always first. It's prior to us being able to see it or realize it or live into it for ourselves. It means that God is always already at work, which in some weird way also means that so are we already, even before we knew it. Nothing is wasted. Every day we wake up and, and then we, we build into the person we are becoming and who God is calling us towards. This also means, though, that when we get off track, when we are headed in what feels like the wrong direction, when we need to repent and turn around and come back to God and, like, uh, like the prodigal, come back to ourselves... <laughs> that there is so much grace there. Now, even our mistakes and our missteps and our sin serve to help us grow. St. Augustine uh, had this phrase, uh, Felix culpa, uh, like happy sin. <laughs> because, and that's not because sin was good, but because it, it, it threw him into the mercy of God. And eat, all things work together for the good of those who love. God and are called according to his purpose. So even these things can help us grow in God's love, can help us grow in knowing how much we need to rely on God, can help us grow in knowing God's word and testing things against what God says, can, can help us grow in communing with God's spirit, and can help us further knit into God's beloved community. Will y'all pray with me? Uh, God, we, we thank you for seeing us and knowing us before we knew it. We thank you for building um, in some strange and mysterious way um, into the little things that we're building and doing. And we thank you for the ways that you 
transfigure and transform and um, uh, set us um, on good paths and set us on fire for um, what you're doing in this world, in this place. Lord, open us up to it. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our imaginations that we can begin to see it and um, continue on doing it. Uh, Thanks for uh, kitchen tables and seashores and all these um, ordinary places uh, right under our nose where you already are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.